Welcome back, everyone, to the eighth episode of my weekly podcast, Writing Through the Pain. This is your host and Winnipeg multidisciplinary artist, Ingrid D. Johnson. Thank you, everyone, for joining me as I discuss, explore, and discover what facing and slowly healing after the trauma of childhood sexual abuse looks like in several areas of adult life. Thank you for choosing to go on this healing journey with me. Would you like to do more to show your support for this podcast? Then please, subscribe, leave a tip in any amount, or become a monthly sponsor by contributing $5 a month or more through our PayPal link. The PayPal link is www.paypal.com forward slash paypalme forward slash ITC sponsorship. In return, you will receive a quarterly newsletter, a download code to my album Visions and Dreams, and 10% discount off all new In the Closet Productions products and services. Every dollar contributed will be used to produce inspiring original music, live music shows, speaking engagements, this podcast, and other creative projects that helps to draw awareness to the impact of childhood sexual abuse. Thank you so much for your wonderful support. And now, part eight of my story, the continuation of my recollection of my time living in the child welfare system after my apprehension at age 12. Cindy, Belinda and Russell's eldest daughter, who was 16 years old, was very nice, but weird. She always asked my foster sister and I questions like, have I lost weight, guys? Or she would say, I think I lost weight in my tongue. We would often wonder about her. Her parents were always talking to us foster girls about boys and not being around them until we were 16. But we all thought they should have spent a lot more time talking to Cindy about boys. Cindy was fooling around with a 30-year-old man from down the street, and they had no clue. She always told us about her her encounters with Steve. I guess she thought it made her feel sexy or adventurous. And she would say he would get upset with her whenever she didn't want to go all the way with him. But that didn't stop her from going over there. Cindy asked me a lot of questions about sex. I don't know why she chose to ask me specifically. Maybe it's because I was dating Michael and we had done a few things. But it was always weird. She would say, Does it hurt, Ingrid? I wouldn't know how to respond to that, so I would try to avoid the question. 
Cindy also would tell me some sick things. One day she says, Ingrid, have you ever felt the inside of yourself before? (laughs) I thought to myself, I can't believe she's asking me these questions. No, Cindy, no, I haven't felt the inside of myself. She was weird sometimes, but that was just Cindy. One night, Cindy told me she was going to give it up to Steve, the 30-year-old from down the street, and I was, I was really shocked. Well, somehow, Cindy's dad found out about Steve and freaked out on her and the guy. He went banging on the front door of the guy's house down the street and threatened to call the police if he ever came near Cindy ever again. It was a whole thing. Meanwhile, Roxy and Jason started to get intimate. This resulted in a beautiful baby girl. Madeline, Roxy's younger sister, always said, I'm never going to let a guy hurt me. All guys are jerks. They only want one thing and then they leave you as soon as they get it. She was pretty smart for a 13-year-old girl. She was very beautiful too. And a lot of guys liked her. And for a long time, she refused all of them. But it's funny how things change. It's funny how she didn't stick to her word as she got older. Years later, she ended up dating a guy who did not treat her well. He had a terrible temper that resulted in him beating her up on a regular basis. This made me very sad. Carrie. Well, Carrie. Carrie wasn't the independent type. She was beautiful, blonde, sensitive, insecure, and a bit of a shaky person. She didn't seem to know much. Therefore, everyone said she fit the dumb blonde stereotype. But I felt time would tell all. Jocelyn is Belinda's older daughter. Oh, sorry, let me say the younger daughter. She just acted like she was older and too good for everyone. Jocelyn is 13 and very annoying. Along with all three of her youngs, younger brothers, especially Elliot. Elliot was like the police. He followed us around to make sure we foster girls didn't hang out with boys or do other things that we weren't supposed to do. He was only nine years old, but he was like a bloodhound, always on our tails, ready to tattle. Meanwhile, Sammy was Elliot's younger brother, a shy middle child who was in love with one of us foster girls every single week. He was only seven. Daniel was the youngest son. He was only five years old with blonde curly hair and a few missing teeth. He was adorable and would often try to amuse us girls by singing Girl Swallow Your Heart, a new Kids on the Black jam that actually goes Girl Follow Your Heart. Or if he wasn't singing that song, he would pick his nose, roll his eyes into the back of his head and fall down onto the ground. It was gross, but that was Daniel. My foster parents also had two family dogs, Polly and Teddy. Polly was my favorite. He was a white, big dog, but very gentle. He would come into my room every night, pass gas right beside my bed, and then leave. But that was just Polly, and you had to ignore him. Teddy was the other dog. He was aggressive. He was Madeline's favorite, although he's a very difficult dog. Teddy was heavily into mating with anyone and anything, so I stayed clear of him as much as possible. Except the times when we'd have to go and take him down to the basement to tie him up at night. 
The basement of the house was really scary. And when I had to go down there sometimes to leash up Teddy or to do the laundry, I was often scared, so I'd beg Madeline to come with me. She would. I remember the first time we went down there. There were baby-sized coffins down there. This really freaked me out the first time I saw them. And it was creepy how they were all neatly stacked on the way to the washer and dryer. I freaked out. That was until Madeline told me that they used to own a pet cemetery. Madeline and I used to joke around and say that they just saved the coffins for the old foster kids. (laughs) Madeline was so funny. We both despised Belinda and Russell for how different they treated us from their own kids. Like, for instance, they would buy their kids new clothes and warm insulated winter boots. But for us foster kids, they would buy us clothes that were cheap and winter boots that weren't insulated as nicely. And this made me very angry because my mother never bought me clothes that weren't nice and she never bought me boots for the winter that weren't warm enough. She might have not had a lot of money or she didn't have a lot of money, but she always made sure that us kids dressed warm and looked nice. So this angered me enough that I became a voice for all of us foster kids in that home. Belinda and Russell didn't like that I that I was so vocal. They didn't like that because that led to our social workers giving us control of our own clothing money. And we were teenage girls, so that to me only made sense. But this made Belinda and Russell really mad, so they demanded that I be removed from their home as soon as possible. They said that it just wasn't working out, and I was a bit of a troublemaker to them. They claimed I was brainwashing the rest of the girls, but what they really meant was that I was disrupting their control of all the money that they were getting for all three of us foster girls. Money that helped them to pay their mortgage, buy a new car, and other nice things that they really liked. This upset me greatly, and so I argued a lot with them until it was time for me to leave, until my social worker found me a group home. I'd never lived in a group home before, and their annoying daughter Jocelyn did her best to scare me about moving into one. She took great pleasure in telling me that it was basically like a jail for bad teenage girls like me, where I wouldn't even be allowed to eat a meal with a real fork or knife. She was terrible. But I was afraid that what she was saying would really be true. To be continued. Did you like this eighth episode? Then stay tuned for a brand new episode of Writing Through the Pain, My Story Continued, every Wednesday evening after 9pm. Did you like the song I Don't Care playing at the beginning of my story? Well, if you like it, that was one of my original songs. I Don't Care was written and performed by myself, Ingrid D. Johnson, and Florence Aramisu, also known as Flo, with music produced by Aaron Chattervede. It is from my 2009 compilation album, Wounded Soul, Volume 1 and Volume 2. If you like the song, you can stream it now on Apple or Spotify. If you want to buy a download of the song for your permanent playlist, visit my artist page, Ingrid D. Johnson, on Apple Music 
or you can buy the album with the song I Don't Care on Amazon Music. The direct link to buy the album Wounded Soul with my song I Don't Care on it is www.amazon.com wounded, well forward slash wounded hyphen soul capital S hyphen Ingrid hyphen capital D hyphen Johnson J-O-H-N-S-O-N forward slash D as in Derek P as in Paul forward slash B as in Bob zero zero V as in Victor N as in Nancy five D as in Derek Z as in zucchini one W or just go to Amazon and type in Ingrid D. Johnson wounded soul Stay tuned for future episodes where I will share more of my original songs and the moments of my journey that inspired those creations, along with the trials and tribulations I have experienced and sometimes still experience as an independent artist trying to make a living from my music and other mediums of art that I love and that also helps to draw awareness to the impact of childhood sexual abuse. Well, as usual, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast Share it with your friends and your colleagues, family members, acquaintances, and friends. After all, you never know who this podcast might speak to, inspire, uplift, inform, or help to break their silence about an incident or incidents of childhood sexual abuse in their lives. To leave a message about an episode of the podcast or to become a potential guest on the show, please message me at anchor.fm forward slash Ingrid D. Johnson forward slash message. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for supporting my mission. If you're new to this podcast, thank you for joining. And I hope you will continue to listen. And for those of you who've been listening for a while, faithfully, thank you so much for your continued support. I really do appreciate it. Have a good night and God bless you all, my friends.